Today on Government Matters, the newest government chief information officer is a familiar face. The road ahead for Homeland Security with CIO Karen Evans. Reshaping the workforce at the Agriculture Department. Chief Information Officer Gary Washington on building the tech team of the future. And the Space Force's first ever doctrine document. One of its architects tells you what's in it and what it means for war fighting. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The new chief information officer at the Department of Homeland Security is well known to the government IT community. Karen Evans was the eGov administrator in the second term of the Bush administration and the first leader of the Office of Cybersecurity, Energy Security, and Emergency Response at the Energy Department. She's now the CIO at DHS. Karen, welcome back. Thanks for coming on. What was in motion when you took over at DHS that you wanted to continue or maybe push even harder? Well, the things first off, Francis, thank you so much for having me. And I truly feel honored to be part of the DHS team. So this is pretty exciting. But to answer your question about what was in motion, um, to start in the middle of the pandemic, I started on June 1st. What was in motion is the reality of cloud first, right? Uh, network modernization. These types of initiatives have become reality. Uh, many CIOs behind the scenes have been working on these. Um, the actions of my predecessors in these positions have really truly made the department to be able to go forward in this environment and to really scale those services so that the department never had to shut down. They just transitioned the way that they did the work. By being in Office 365, it is amazing the amount of work, the way that the department has moved forward, the way that the virtual connections are sustainable and scalable on the network. I mean, it is really, truly uh, an effort and I am proud to be here and we are continuing that effort going forward to make sure that more applications, the data center consolidation efforts are moving forward. So when you ask what the priorities are, it's accelerating those so that we can maximize those for the, the workforce and the environment that they're in. Yeah, you walked into a situation where John Zangardi and Beth Capello had been accelerating a cloud smart initiative in the first place. And, and so you have an opportunity, it strikes me, to really build on that platform with a colleague of partners in the CXO suite. What's that work been like so far collaborating with Soraya Correa, Angie Bailey, Troy Edgar in the CXO suite there, Karen? Well, I couldn't ask for a better set of um, lines of business owners. Uh, our our leader, our boss, as we call him, Mr. Alice, uh, he's the Deputy Undersecretary for Management. He truly believes in teamwork and that we are working at a team to be able to provide that mission support. And it is even more critical in the environment that we have today. And so, I mean, we meet on a regular basis. Uh, as we were talking in prep for this, I told you three times a week uh, and at a minimum three times a week. And so there is a lot of collaboration. And I think the whole idea, you know, we always talk about partnership, collaboration. Uh, it really is alive and well here. It is fostered, it is lived. And I couldn't ask for a better set of partners. I mean, to be able to do data center 
consolidation. Uh, I, I need and have to have a partner with Soraya, and she is right there. Uh, another partner that's very important as you're building your cybersecurity workforce is Angie Bailey. What does that look like, and what are the skill sets that you're assessing so far you need the most of, Karen? Well, we are working on our staffing plan, and as you know, Angie Bailey is a pretty innovative uh, Chico. So again, another great partner. I was just talking to her before we came to talk to you. Um, she's working on an effort, which I think you probably have heard about, which is the uh, Cyber Talent Management System. The way that they have put that together, I'm so excited to be able to use it. It is skills-based. It'll make us competitive with the private industry that the people who were attempting to recruit from out there won't have to do this translation into on the 2210 classification with a parenthetical. If we need network forensics analysis people, we will be able to go through the process, um, do the skills assessment and get them on a career path and offer them a salary commensurate to private industry. So. We're working really closely with her so that that can launch. There are some things Congress has partnered with us to give us that statutory authority to do it for the cyber workforce. So now um, I'm working with the teams and we are putting together the staffing plans that we need for the future. So you're giving me a great opportunity to talk about this initiative that um, we are analyzing our uh, security operations centers and our network operations centers, because what we're doing is really consolidating those so that we will have a network security operations center, a NOSC. And so uh, what that's really going to be looking at is how do you keep operations going? And so a lot of this is leveraging what I was doing over at DOE as well. You have to keep the operations going while you're doing this analysis of what's actually happening cybersecurity wise on your network. So this puts um, the network operators, think of them as first responders, emergency room services, doing the triage looking at that, keeping the operations going, but then handing it up the chain so that uh, cybersecurity analysts can actually look at it, network analysts can look at it, and they're doing their work together so that we can then hand it off if we need to to the intelligence community, to CISA, um, as they're looking across the federal networks as a whole, while we keep things going for the department. We just have a minute or so left, Karen. You obviously had visibility into the enterprise at DHS as the eGov administrator, the federal CIO, basically. How is it different managing over 20-some different IT operations and trying to drive collaboration and communication there with your hand actually on the wheel rather than just kind of looking over the shoulder of the driver? I find it very exciting, and the component CIOs, they, they are our partners. There are certain corporate types of services that we provide, but they have the mission-specific services. You have FEMA, who has to deal with hurricane response right now, right? They're dealing with COVID response. Um, they have to have that reliability, and there are things that we can do for them behind the scenes. And so with uh, the authorities, and this is, I, I'm kind of surprised you haven't asked for this, is it's kind of, um, it's fun on one level, but it's also interesting to see some of the unintended consequences of how you thought a policy was gonna work. Now I have the opportunity to know, this is what we intended. Now I can leverage that and build upon that and really try to move things out of the way so that the department can achieve the mission for the secretary, for the debt sector, uh, and for the president. 
Karen Evans, thanks very much for joining me. As always, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate that you've asked me to come back. Thank you so much. Up next, reshaping the workforce at the Department of Agriculture. Straight ahead on Government Matters, a changing of the guard coming in the agency's IT workforce. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back. IT specialists at the Department of Agriculture will have a chance to retire early. The department's doing what it calls a strategic restructuring. Gary Washington is the chief information officer at USDA. Gary, welcome back. Thanks for coming on. What's the goal with this uh, strategic restructuring? What will you uh, try to accomplish through it? Well, as you know, Francis, uh, with the Centers of Excellence, um, we did a lot of digital automation. Uh, we, we modernized our infrastructure and introduced some uh, new emerging tools uh, to support our mission areas here at USDA. So as an uh, output of that, I guess, um, what we are addressing is we're trying to provide our employees the opportunity to uh, obtain new skill sets and we're trying to strategically address our modern skill sets to take us into the future here at the Department of Agriculture. What are the skill sets that you need more of? What, are the, what do you want people to do, say, two years out that you don't have as much of as you need today, Gary? Well, what we're, what we're trying to focus on is, you know, uh, skill sets such as how to develop, uh, you know, ro uh, robotic process automation, you know, artificial intelligence knowledge, uh, machine learning. Uh, we've migrated most of our applications to the cloud. Uh, so there are some skill sets that we don't need as much of, and we want to take every opportunity to re retool and uh, reskill, you know, our current employees. Yeah. And that's kind of where I wanted to go next. You're offering early retirements, but if you've got 2210s that say, listen, Gary, I want to stick around, love the mission and so on, I'd like to leverage any reskilling opportunities that you might have. Will you have those available for people who want to do that, Gary? Yes, we will. We will have opportunities for employees that want to retool and, and reskill. But as you know, also through consolidation, you really have to look at you know your IT workforce as a whole and make sure that we're making uh, optimal investments in our workforce and, and we're doing the right things. You mentioned the Centers of Excellence program, and I had an interesting conversation this week with a former leader in from GSA in that effort, talking about the fact that you left that process early and this leader said they were ready. What do you think you did that made that work, that made the, you ready to leave the COE program early and kind of fly on your own, Gary? Well, I think we did several things. Um, you know, we did a talent contest within USDA and along with the COEs, uh, GSA, we had some of our own employees actually work side by side with the Centers of Excellence through that whole experience. And in addition to that, uh, a with a couple of the COEs, a couple of the parts of the COEs, we had gotten a head start in terms of uh, going down that path. I think cloud uh, migration was, was one of those uh, situations where we had already started, but working with the Centers of Excellence uh, enhanced our journey, so to speak. Mm -hmm. What uh, what does that look like moving forward? I mean, what what would you, how will you sustain the gains that you made and try to prevent any kind of backslide 
for you to you or a successor to have to deal with? Well, we're, we're putting in strong governance across the USDA um, in terms of our consolidation. Uh, the IT organization across USDA is very aware of what our, our technology goals are here and, and where we're going, obviously. Um, we are going to create an environment where uh, not just uh, contractors, but government employees play a participatory role in applying uh, new solutions, technologies to make sure that we get uh, a business value out of what we invest in. I, I want to be very clear, Gary, I'm not uh, suggesting by any means that uh, by mentioning a successor that one is imminent and I hope you're there for a very long time. Um, one piece of this strategic restructuring is a hiring freeze. What does that look like? Do you have a sense of how long it will be and what's the reason behind it, Gary? Well, the reason behind a hiring freeze is I, I really think we need to take a good hard look at what our, across the department, of what our contractor to government IT specialist ratio is. Uh, make sure that we don't have duplication of effort. And again, we're investing properly in our workforce. Uh, once we collectively get to a point across the department where we agree what our future workforce is going to look like, and we have a uh, agreed upon a documented path to get there, uh, then we we can have discussions about um, you know what how far out we should take, we should, we should take this hiring freeze or not. Uh, 30 seconds left, Gary. Uh, what have you learned from the COVID situation that you think will change the way that the IT shop at USDA works moving forward in a post-COVID environment? I, I think what we've really learned is our ability to be agile and adopt new ways of doing things. Um, we, we, don't, we really don't have a choice but to support a very remote uh, you know, workforce. As you know, USDA is in every county in the United States, and we do have an international presence as well. So, uh, taking is this made us taking how we support our customers to another level and made us more aware of the importance, important role we play in delivering a mission here at USDA. Gary Washington, thanks very much as always. Great to have you on the program again. Thank you for having me. Up next, a brand new roadmap for space operations. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the plan for the military's newest branch. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back to Space Force has a new capstone document that lays out the plan for military operations in space. It spells out the force's priorities for defending the United States. In space, Colonel Casey Beard's commander of Space Delta 9 in the Space Force. He's one of the architects of the framework. Colonel, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on. What was the process that you and your colleagues undertook to create this document? Uh, good morning and thanks for having me. So the process was about uh, a year in the making. It began uh, summer of last year, 2019. There were about uh, 21 of us, include, 22 of us, I should say, including myself, uh, rallied the team uh, with the motivation uh, of generating a document that would articulate, for the first time ever, uh, space power as a military form, a uh, distinct form of military power. We wanted to make sure that was captured uh, in advance of a potential service at the time the Space Force didn't exist. Uh, we wanted to have a document knowing that the Space Force could be imminent, that would shape the purpose, identity, and culture 
of this new entity, this new military organization, uh, as it fit into the rest of the joint force. And we also believed that the that this service, the most important contribution this service could make uh, in its early stages of existence was this articulation of space power to demonstrate how it fits into the larger joint community. And so, again, myself and 21 others uh, started meeting together at the Pentagon and, and had virtual touch points uh, around the country and met, about, met every about, about every two weeks, uh, had an opportunity to debate uh, to pontificate, to, to then assign sections of the document, drafted it out, and then coordinated it through a series of uh, senior mentors who were great in their support. Um, and it raised to the uh, to the level of um, of interest uh, here at uh, at Peterson Air Force Base with uh, General Raymond and his staff. We were able to brief this this concept to them. They adopted it uh, as uh, as the foundational doctrine that they would use to to formally court and then ultimately produce uh, what we see today. So it was a it was a team effort, um, a lot of highly skilled, highly uh, uh, energized individuals, uh, experts uh, in the mission area who came together really on our own accord uh, and had a great support network and empowerment from our leadership team who ultimately uh, produced it. And that's what we have today. You've described this, Colonel, as a coalition of the willing. Where did those 22 voices come from? Did they come from inside the Air Force at the time, since, as you said, there was no Space Force when you began this? Or did they come from space operators from all over the other branches of the military, too? Yeah, so it was a, it was a joint endeavor, uh, predominantly Air Force space operators. But we did have Army personnel. We had uh, civilian personnel. We had background from the intelligence community and all facets of space operations. The, predominantly, uh, our personnel were from the, the Pentagon or the D.C. area. But again, uh, we had support uh, networks uh, all across the country. You have three cornerstone responsibilities, five core competencies, and seven space power disciplines. And uh, General Raymond and others have said that this will provide kind of the platform for other doctrine documents for Space Force. How so, Colonel? Yes, so when we look at this, this doctrine document, and, and capstone being the key word here, it's foundational. Uh, it, again, it identifies the purpose, the identity, and the culture of the organization itself, of the Space Force. So now with those responsibilities, competencies, and disciplines, as you mentioned, it, that sets the framework for the next level, subordinate level doctrine, operational and tactical doctrine, when we can start applying those concepts and, and, and tying them into specific systems, specific operations, training requirements, standards, et cetera, uh, to be able to, to execute and implement those ideas uh, real world and day to day. What, what do you do next? What, what do you do moving forward to build those doctrine documents? Uh, that's right. So now that we have this on the street, uh, it's now public and it's and it's usable. Um, the next steps are to formally uh, start to generate uh, writing teams um, that will start transitioning over to the LeMay Center, which is the Air Force Doctrine Center uh, down at Maxwell Air Force Base, and start drafting up operational level doctrine, personnel doctrine, et cetera, um, and doing the same process almost that we've seen here with this capstone doctrine and having those published notionally within the next year or so. Now, long-term, the Space Force has been forward-leaning and anticipating the need for this type of a process. Um, so we're also looking to establish what we call a Space Training and Readiness Command, STARCOM, in the future that would actually own this process organically, uh, rather than having to rely uh, more exclusively on the Air Force or other services to do that. How do you and others in the Space Force want the men and women who will be on the front lines of that force to implement this document, to execute on this and the other doctrine documents that you put out moving forward, Colonel? That's right, so first and foremost, it's to have that, and I have a copy with me on hand, to have one of these documents on your person at all times, to be able to read it, digest it, debate it, 
uh, and then apply it as you mentioned. So it's to understand where do I fit in the core competencies? What is the discipline that I bring, the skill set that I bring to that? And am I, as I apply it, is this properly communicating and, and shaping the operations in a way that's worthwhile? And if it is, great, we'll continue to elaborate on that and build on that. If not, we'll have the mechanisms in place to provide a feedback loop uh, up to the writing team to say, this is a better way to, to do business. You know, we have discovered something in the field um, that may not match exactly with what was originally published. Let's get that right, let's refine it, let's validate it and get it out to the force for future implementation. You kind of allude to where I wanted to go next and we just have about 30 seconds left, but I wonder, is this a living document or is this something, you've got a hard copy there, that's fixed at least as far as the one you carry around, but is this a living document, Colonel? Will this change as time goes on? It, it absolutely is. And, and the fact that it's the inaugural document, that means that it will probably change more frequently in the early years than it will in the out years. Over time, we do establish, or we would expect this to establish itself in a more, uh, uh, a more long-term trajectory, maybe every three or four years modification. But I, I certainly expect this to be uh, rapidly uh, uh, developed and improved, again, using empirical evidence now uh, from the field uh, to make sure that our mission is, is properly postured uh, for future threats and future opportunities. Colonel Casey Beard, thanks very much for joining me. I appreciate it, sir. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every one of our programs by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 10.30 on ABC 7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.